Episode 148, folks, with Joseph Hogue, investment strategist and expert, huge online presence with his YouTube channel, his Facebook, a bunch of his websites. I mean, the guy is all over the place, has over 330,000 subscribers on YouTube. Check him out. We linked him up here in the show notes, and we talk all things stock market today. You want to learn about how to invest in the stock market, some general themes, general approaches, uh, some specific stocks to look at here in 2021. Uh, intricacies of the market, etc. This is an episode that you will not want to miss. Please share it. Please uh, send it to your friends and family. Stock market investing has become a hot thing with the Robinhood and other apps coming into the market, and it's probably not slowing down anytime soon. So check it out if you've uh, had any interest in, in stock market investing. This is definitely an episode for you. Uh, as always, folks, please click subscribe. Join the family. We continue to grow, and the five-star ratings are coming in. Thank you for that. Really appreciate those, especially on Apple Podcasts. Again, I keep saying it, and I will continue to say it. Those ratings do not go unnoticed. They are much appreciated. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you can take three and a half seconds out of your day and click the five star and click submit, that will be humongous because we continue to get pushed out to other people throughout the world. Uh, The more five star ratings we get, the more popular the podcast looks and the algorithm and the more people will get to listen to these episodes. With that said, everybody, please, uh, as promised, here comes a very informative episode. Sit back, relax, and welcome the one and only Joseph Hogue. The Optimal Life. Joseph Hogue, welcome to The Optimal Life. How are you today? I'm doing great, Nate. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here. So I, as I was telling you before, I haven't talked stock market with anybody, and saw you and, and I was like, this would be an awesome guest. I, I'm really into the market. I just started investing about a year ago. I knew nothing about it prior and, and I still am pretty raw. So I'm pretty green when it comes to the understanding the intricacies of the, uh, intricacies of the stock market. So let's start there, Joseph. Um, just explain to people what exactly is the stock market and, and investing in a certain company or a certain stock. What? How do you explain that? Sure. Well, you know, at its most basic, uh, the stock market is just a funding resource for companies, right? So anytime a company wants to grow beyond what can be provided by uh, private sources, uh, friends, family, that kind of thing, then it can either issue debt, which is, you know, that that, uh, just bonds on the company, or it can issue stock, which is an equity ownership of the company. You actually own a, a percentage share of future revenues, Future or future earnings, uh, you know that that future financial performance of the company. So, so the company just issues those those equity ownership certificates, um, which aren't certificates really anymore. It's all digital now, of course. Right. But uh, but they issue that, and, and you can buy them for uh, for for you know ten twenty dollars a share, all the way up to three thousand for shares of Amazon. So that's a good point. Some stocks are worth less than a dollar, and some stocks are worth thousands. So when you're buying a stock, sure. you're buying a stock, you're, you're buying obviously a piece of ownership, but what drives a company to go from a dollar a share all the way up to hundreds or even thousands of dollars a share? How, how, what, what happens? Sure, and it's a great question because I see so much, uh, so many times from, from investors, even investors that have been, been in the market uh, investing for quite a while, they think that that share price really means anything, and it doesn't. Uh, the, the, the surprising fact is that the share price really means very little to the value of that stock. 
Okay. Uh, what's really important is the earnings behind it, and I'll talk about that a, a little bit. But basically, the the share price the share price of the stock is just a function of okay, how big is that company? What's the market value of that company uh, divided by how many shares they've issued? Okay. So, for example, if you've got a one and a half trillion dollar company like like Amazon, but it only has a, a limited number of shares uh, issued. And when I say limited, in, in this case, it's, it's upwards of you know, hundreds of millions of shares. But uh, that's how it gets $3,000 stock price, right? Because you've got that $1.5 trillion spread over uh, much fewer shares than, than other companies. If we take another example like, uh, and I want to say Groupon, where uh, I think shares are right around $40 each, uh, but it's uh, it's got uh, much many more shares issued, right? So uh, so the the stock price doesn't necessarily mean that the stock is worth more or less than uh, than than a stock with a higher stock price, right? Uh, a a company, you know, if if uh, Amazon had 1.5 trillion shares uh, issued, then it would only have a dollar stock price. It mm-hmm. would have no effect on the company, its growth, uh, or what that what that stock is worth to investors. So, what I want uh, investors to, to get is, you know, when you're looking at a uh, looking at investing, don't look at the stock price. Uh, if you do look at the stock price compared to maybe its earnings, the company's earnings, look at it compared to the company's sales. Always use that measure to really be able to compare it against other stocks. Um, why would you look so at it against? That, well, I'm sorry. Why would you look don't at? Don't think that you can. Go ahead. Sure, don't think that you can look at you know a dollar uh, a stock that trades for a dollar per share and think oh that's a great deal I could buy a hundred shares of that whereas you know maybe I could only buy one share of another stock that that trades for a hundred dollars a share uh, because it's it's just not there's no comparison there. So let's get to that. Why do you look at earnings, for example? What what is the correlation between earnings and potential for a stock? Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, over the very short term, so we're talking one year, two years, then stock prices are very much a function of uh, just investor sentiment, right? The market enthusiasm, how much uh, investors love stocks at that moment, right? Uh, over the long term, though, you know, so we're talking three, three, five years, and even more, then stocks are a direct, direct relationship with those earnings, you know, because that's what stock ownership is. It is a an ownership of those earnings. Right, so every quarter, uh, every company that has shares available, they they report their their financial statements for that quarter for those last three months, uh, and you know the bottom line. They call it the bottom line because that's what it is. It's it's the net income available to shareholders. It's the earnings of the company, and uh, every shareholder has a, a that percentage uh, that percentage right to those earnings. You know whether it's obviously that the company isn't going to distribute those earnings because it needs to hold some back for growth and that kind of thing, but uh, but that's what stocks really are is, is an ownership in those earnings. So that's why it's so important to look at those earnings, the earnings growth of a company, and really compare you know stock price to the earnings to get that that sense of of worth and a sense of value for a stock. You mentioned sentiment because to me, still trying to figure this whole thing out. It seems to me like, as you mentioned in the example of the first year or two, uh, I feel like when I'm buying a stock or a share in a company, um, the shares that I'm buying are just based upon market sentiment, public sentiment. For example, how does like NIO or some of these other companies that don't have huge earnings or um, 
a big history or maybe even sales. There's obviously many companies on the market that don't even have revenues yet. Uh, how are some of those stocks valued at $30, $40, $50 and proven companies like, uh, I don't know, pick somebody, uh, uh, Carnival Cruise Line, maybe that's a bad example, but someone that's been around for a long time that's trading at $20 or you know, Ford that's trading at nine or 10. How, how does that work? Do you understand like what, what, what I'm getting at? Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's a great question, and it really goes, there's really a couple things to unpack in there. One is um, that, that, yeah, it is all about sentiment sometimes, and especially when the market, uh, you know, gets that momentum in it and we get to those, those high prices, uh, investors just rush in to anything that, that looks great, you know, anything that with the stock price moving up. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's a good deal or a good investment. It's just that so much money is, is rushing into that and bidding those stock prices up uh, higher and higher. And so, you know, on one level you get, you get uh, so, so we'll talk about the, the price per, to earnings, right? The P-E ratio, which is a fundamental ratio that, that a lot of investors uh, use to kind of value their stock. And uh, so, so overall, the market is uh, trading for the, the S&P 500, which is kind of the market index, uh, is trading for about 40 times uh, on that price to earnings basis. That means you know, all the companies in that index, uh, the stock price is trading for 40 times what they reported in earnings over the last year, right? Okay. Now, and, uh, if you look at what that's been in the past, the 10-year average for that is closer to about 18 times. So you can see that right now, you know, investors are paying about double what they normally do or what they have over on average over that longer term period over that last decade uh, are paying, they're paying about double what they were paying for those earnings for stocks. Right? So you see, you get, and when you compare that with other valuation metrics, you talked about Neo that's, I think is trading for something like a thousand times earnings, right? <laughs> um, you, you get a sense where, you know, investors, the enthusiasm for stocks right now is just so high. Uh, and it really does lead to the belief that uh, we're kind of in a kind of a stock market bubble, right? That that stock prices are inflating so much that uh, they just can't sustain themselves. One one other thing to to understand though in that uh, in kind of the example they used with with Carnival Cruise Lines uh, versus Neo is the difference between growth and value stocks, right? So now growth growth stocks, it's a theme in investing where you're looking at stocks that are growing their sales and growing their revenues uh, so fast that the, the um, you know, the impetus really, the, 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 the investing uh, um, strategy or the, the, the narrative, right, the story behind it is you're paying for those future growth, for that future growth, right? Okay. Uh, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. So people look at shares of Neo. people look at shares of Tesla and are willing to pay, and are willing to pay for a thousand times those earnings, the, the earnings that the company has reported over the last year, they're willing to pay thousands of times more than that or even hundreds of times uh, just because those earnings are growing so fast that the investors believe that you know the stock price is just gonna keep on growing because those earnings are gonna keep on growing like that, right? So in those growth stocks, and within that you've got your electric vehicle stock, your renewable uh, energy stocks, uh, all those you know those those hot names right in the market. The, the a lot of the tech tech names. Uh, on the other side of that though is value investing, and that's a whole other that's another theme where the narrative there, the story is that you're trying to get the best value for those earnings. Okay, so you've got companies here like uh, like maybe Procter and Gamble, which 
maybe is only able to grow their earnings by 10% a year versus, okay, so versus, you know, maybe a Neo or a Tesla that, that is doubling their earnings, doubling their sales every single year. Procter & Gamble maybe only makes uh, that 10% sales growth or the 10% earnings growth. And, uh, and so, so value investors are looking at that stock and saying, well, you know, we're, we're only gonna pay maybe 10 times that earnings for that stock. Uh, but obviously that's, if it's a, a much more stable company, much more stable growth rate and earnings, then they can be a little bit more certain that, that those, those earnings are gonna grow at a reasonable rate uh, and, and you know they're not paying that thousand times the earnings for that. So they're right. paying they're paying a much lower amount per earnings for for those stocks. And, um, and, and you know neither one is really right or wrong. It's just different ways of investing, different strategies uh, of investing, and kind of the narratives that uh, that you have to believe in. Uh, to invest in those. Yeah, it sounds like the ones that have a longer, tr the value ones have a longer track record. They're a little bit more safe. Uh, generally speaking, they're more safe, uh, less risk, obviously less reward. But but if you can get that 8, 10, 12% return every year and you're investing some big money, maybe you're happy making you know 50000 a year knowing that it's most likely going to come, That's correct? Right. Definitely, these are the, those are definitely the uh, the safety plays. A lot of times, uh, the sectors there are usually you're usually in uh, energy stocks and kind of the, the legacy energy providers. You're in financial, so banks, insurance companies. Uh, you're in utility companies, uh, so very much a regulated uh, industry where where you, you can be fairly certain of, of that earnings growth and that slow, steady stock stock price growth. Let's use the NEO example too, just to uh, piggyback off of that to understand exactly what's going on here. Because I still want to understand, okay, we, we get it that it's a, a probably a law of supply and demand. When there's the demand's higher and the supply is limited, it causes the pricing to go up. We, we get that. So tell me though the intricacies behind it as much as you can. For Neo, for example, it's at one or two dollars a year ago, and it's at fifty dollars today, somewhere in this range, right? I mean, it's this wild, wild growth in a in a small period of time. But as that stock is continuing to like, what is making that stock go up a uh, dollar uh, here, two dollars there? Like, what is happening, and and what's the formula that's being used? by Wall Street or whoever's running this to know like, okay, now this person bought in, so that increases the stock price by 40 cents. Like, how, how does that all work? Okay, sure, and, and I'll tell you, honestly, there is no formula anymore for a lot of these stocks. It is just pure momentum, uh, people rushing in. Uh, uh, honestly, a lot of what's happened over the last year is uh, people are on lockdown, they're still getting, uh, you know, some some kind of uh, some kind of income through stimulus checks and that, um, but they're not spending it. You know, the, the savings rate has jumped to 13 percent, uh, which is well above anything uh, you know we've seen in the past few decades. Um, it's generally right around three to five percent at the most. Mm -hmm. uh, so people are saving their money and they've got nothing to do that. So a lot of people are, are uh, putting their money in the stock market. They're chasing after these uh, these these hot stocks that, like Neo, have gone up 16-fold in a year, uh, and and it's hard not to, right? Uh, you know, you see anything that that rises uh, 10, 10 and 20-fold in a year, and you think, well, oh, I, I put a thousand dollars on there, and I can I can have a down payment for a house within a year. Uh, so it's very it's very uh, attractive to to chase after those. Uh, 
And the idea is that, yeah, it's just they, these companies have a limited number of shares. You know, sometimes they'll, uh, every once in a while, they might issue new shares to, uh, to to raise more money for the company. But generally, they have a limited number of shares. So, you know, as more people throw, uh, you know, push more money into it, then um, that price of, of the stock has to go up. You know, whether the actual company fundamentals, those earnings, even, uh, you know, even that earnings growth of double or three times uh, a year, whether that justifies it. You know, uh, I, I, I won't deny that a lot of these electric vehicle companies like Tesla, like Neo, uh, have some great uh, some great growth uh, behind them. And I think electric vehicles are still only maybe 2% of the total auto sales. So lots of growth ahead. But but yeah, it doesn't justify that you know, thousand times uh, their earnings. It would need, they would need to grow at the same rate for a decade to, to really justify that price. Uh, so it is just a function of all that money going into the stock and pushing the price higher. And the, the tragedy is that so many investors are, are, are jumping into this into these themes and thinking that that's how you invest. You know, you invest in what goes up. Um, I think social media has become the new cat, the new taxi driver, right? It used to be back in the back in the '90s when the the tech bubble was inflating. Then uh, the joke was to you get out of the market when uh, your taxi driver uh, offers you stock advice. <laughs> well, anymore, it's it's social media, right? It's social media that, uh, and I run, you know, I, I run a Facebook group uh, along with the channel that that has a uh, uh, it's a great community. But often I'll see uh, comments like, you know, I'm investing in Tesla because it's going up, or you know, buy Tesla. That's all you need, uh, and it, and it's just this kind of you know this kind of hot stock chasing or chasing yeah. those those hot stocks. That uh, that is really dangerous because those bubbles do burst. Uh, yeah. You know, we saw we saw it in 2000 on the tech bubble. We saw it in 2008 uh, with the uh, the financial stocks and uh, the bubble burst there. Actually, heard a a, a really a great quote uh, from from an investor the other day. He was talking about bubbles bursting and, and that kind of thing and how to invest, right? Um, and he said, you know, uh, bubbles do burst. Uh, that the the way the way you want to think about it is do you want to keep all your money in the market, keep chasing those those hot stocks, and do you want to be picking, or, or do you want a, a good, sound portfolio in different stocks, different, might not, make you, uh, might not make you a lot of money, might not make you quite as much money, but it's gonna be safe. You know, do you want to be picking up nickels in front of a steamroller when that bubble bursts? Okay, and the idea there is, is that yeah, you can still make some some good money even with stocks touching their their record highs right now, and some of these stocks are just crazy valuations. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be uh, pennies and nickels compared to what you can make over the long term if you just stick to a a sound investing plan. When you say bubble burst, explain to people like what that means when a bubble in a market truly bursts. How many times? Uh, the whatever they have in equity, how many times that could be slashed by when, when a bubble truly bursts? Sure, sure. Well, we only have to look at look at history, right? In uh, in two thousand and one or two thousand when the uh, when the bubble started bursting on tech stocks, uh, the Nasdaq, which is an index, uh, a group of uh, tech stocks, right? That fell by eighty percent. So mm. if you've got uh, you know a thousand dollars invested in the stock market. Uh, by the end of 2000, and, uh, you know, mid 2003, I think is when the mod- bot- when the market bottomed out. There, you would have only 200 dollars left. 
of the thousand dollars that you had started with or that you had grown that portfolio to, it would now be worth $200. Uh, when the, when the market burst in 2008, stocks fell by about 50, about 55%, right? So again, if you had a thousand dollars in the market at that point, uh, I think it was like July, 2000, uh, 2007, when the market peaked, reached that high, by March of 2009, you would have just $450. Jeez. And that's, and, and you know, and people say that, yeah, but the, the market's come back since and, and I can just wait. Well, the problem is that when the market starts falling like that and so quickly like that, then a lot of investors panic. They get scared and, and they start selling because they don't want to, they don't, they're, they're afraid that, you know, stocks are going to keep on coming down and they don't want to lose it even more. So what happens is that a lot of investors, they'll be chasing these stocks and uh, when the market starts coming down, they'll sell. So maybe they sell at a, a 30% loss. Um, so their $1,000 portfolio, let's say, let's say it's fallen by 30%, they're down to $700. Uh, so they do miss out, on, miss out on some of those those further losses. They get out before that 50% loss, but then they're scared. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they never quite know when the market's gonna bottom, you know, whether they should get back in and, and invest more, and they wait too long to get back in and they miss out on a lot of the, the returns mm. that, uh, that come from, you know, after that stock market bottoms. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, and, you know, I know people that, that, that are still not fully invested after, after the 2008 crash. You know, they, they jumped out of stocks uh, at a low point and, and it's taken them more than 10 years to really get comfortable investing their money back in stocks. Well, and that's the thing. Every every investor is different. No two investors are the same. And some people have a longer runway just based upon their age and life and where they're at. They could take a little sure, more risk. Sure. And, versus, that's, yeah. and that's got to be part of your investing decision. That's got to be part of you know that age-based investing and just the risk of the personality-based investing where if, even if you're somebody that's young and has decades left to, uh, to retirement, but if you're someone that gets freaked out easily by uh, by movements in the stock market, by you know seeing your portfolio uh, fall by maybe ten percent, then you've got to treat it as uh, as an older, as if you were a more conservative investor. Sure. Uh, and, and basically, it's just it's just going to determine within your portfolio the different stocks you buy. So maybe you do if you're a younger investor that can stand the risk and you know can mentally stand uh, stand that risk, then, then maybe you do go after some of these growth stocks that. Uh, while they're expensive now, they've still got great growth over the next uh, few decades, uh, and you can take that kind of volatility. Sure. But if you're an older investor or someone that just doesn't want to see their their portfolio go swing by by ten or twenty percent uh, within a year, then maybe you invest in those some of those value names, right? The value stocks that uh, might not you know set the bed on fire, but they're going to uh, they're going to give you that nice long steady steady and stable uh, increase. Let's get to that. Let's get to some of your investment uh, strategies, tips, tricks, etc. You've grown a, a YouTube community to over 330,000 subscribers, which is incredible. So you obviously know what you're talking about. You've got all these different websites uh, on how to manage your money, how to invest, etc. Um, you've got newsletters. I mean, it's amazing. You're, you're reaching millions of people on a monthly basis. So let's get to some of your tips and tricks. You, you mentioned value stocks. Let's start there. Uh, what what would be some examples of some value stocks that uh, that you're intrigued by? Sure. Well, I, you know, first I always like to to recommend what's called the core set strategy, right? And what this means is you've got a core part of your portfolio. Let's go back and say you've got that thousand dollars to invest uh, or a thousand dollar portfolio. What you would do, you would take maybe 
65%, so maybe $650 of that, and put it in a small group of, of maybe five five exchange traded funds. And those are just like just like the old mutual funds, except they trade like stocks. Uh, they're just groups of, uh, of stocks in one fund, and then you can buy uh, printers of that. You can buy stocks in that fund, right? So you buy five funds uh, and maybe spread across uh, different themes. So maybe you maybe you do have a, a, a fund of growth stocks. You have a fund of, of uh, value stocks, maybe a real estate uh, fund, a bond fund, and that's just going to give you that broad market exposure into the different asset classes. Right? Okay. The asset classes are stocks, bonds, and real estate. Uh, so, so maybe you go in and you buy, uh, so like the, the uh, long-term bond fund, which maybe the Vanguard uh, long-term corporate bond fund, the ticker BLV. Right? Maybe you buy the Vanguard uh, real estate fund, which is ticker VNQ, and then maybe a uh, maybe a dividend fund or, or something like that. Right? Uh, and that's the majority of your money. That's fifty to sixty-five percent, something like that. Okay. And with that remaining thirty-five percent of your money, so three hundred fifty dollars uh, of that thousand, then you can buy ten or fifteen stocks at the most. You know, ten or fifteen companies that you really like, and you can really hold on for a long time. And what this what this is going to do is you're going to get the broad market uh, market returns from those funds. Okay, the majority of your money is just going to follow the market, uh, and you're going to get safe and stable returns that you don't have to worry about. Right? These funds are are uh, are spread across hundreds of stocks, hundreds of bonds, and you really don't have to worry about one stock falling out or or you know uh, a bond going bankrupt or defaulting or, or anything like that. What's a now with that that smaller portion? Go ahead. What's a safe? What's a for people that don't like? What's a safe and stable percentage? Uh, just a percentage range on an annual return. Uh, you, you know, I mean, for for stocks, it's it's generally right around seven to ten percent. Okay, is really kind of the the market return uh, over time. Perfect. Uh, and, and I know people look at that and say, well, hell, you know, the, the market's up fifteen percent just in the last year. It's been up, uh, you know, double digits for for many years straight. And yeah, that's that's in a bull market. That's when times are good. But if you take that return, you know, if you take the return over decades and average it out, it's closer to that seven and ten percent. Got it. Uh, and, and that's actually a really good return to, to look forward to. Sure. Okay. So you get those. Uh, you get you get those, that core uh, part of your portfolio, and then you know the smaller the smaller portion. You got those ten to fifteen stocks, uh, and since you're only focused on, on a very small handful of stocks. You don't have to spend all your time picking stocks and chasing different companies and chasing different news and names. Uh, you can focus on the 10 or 15 stocks that you really like, that you really think have a, a good long-term future, uh, and they give you a chance to, to maybe do a little bit better than the market, to do returns that are gonna be a little bit better than, than those funds, uh, but, but it doesn't take a, uh, you know, a lot of time to, uh, to research and follow those, right? And sure. so it's a much more stress-free investing strategy. Because you know you're going to get those market market returns from that core group of funds, uh, the the ten or, or fifteen stocks that you own. You know, even if even if they don't do well, they're not going to kill your portfolio because it's a still a small part. It's still maybe only thirty five percent of your portfolio, uh, but it does give you that upside chance, uh, a little bit extra return as well. So this diversification. So that's, that's, that's the start. Yeah. So that's the diversification strategy. A diversification strategy for for value added, long term value investing. Well, that's for anyone. That's for that's for anyone, really. You can be a, a growth investor uh, and invest in, in, with that strategy, the core satellite strategy. Basically, you can you can have your five funds, uh, and then you can pick growth stocks with the rest of that, or um, you can pick a combination of growth and value stocks. 
right? You can you can really do a lot of things with that strategy, and it's just gonna it's just gonna cut down on the time that you, it takes you to uh, to invest. It's gonna cut down on the stress level uh, that that uh, that you're investing with because you know you're still getting those market returns from the majority of your money. Got it. Um, and then and then yeah, you start looking at the uh, this, the the individual names that you like. And uh, right now, you know, I really like stocks in the financial sector, uh, in the energy sector, and the healthcare sector. Okay, and that's you know that that changes every every few years. You, you get kind of sector trends, right? Right now, what we're looking at is obviously in the healthcare sector. Uh, twenty twenty was all about the the virus and and kind of a triage of services. So a lot of hospitals, a lot of a lot of healthcare services had to postpone or, or cancel a lot of those higher margin elective procedures. Well, what we're seeing when uh, when we come out of that is that you know those procedures come back and the profit margins come back, and so so healthcare stocks do really well. Uh, we also saw obviously financial companies, banks, and, and insurance companies. You know, as the interest rate starts rising a little bit, they start making a little bit more money. So uh, so banks and financial companies do better, and then uh, uh, you know already we've already seen energy come up quite a bit. You know, the, uh, stocks of of energy companies that have seen oil prices come back from you know ten and twenty dollars a barrel uh, last year to to about fifty three dollars a barrel now. Uh, so those do really well. So, so a lot of times, you know, stocks stocks in those three sectors are, are really what I'm focusing on. Uh, for this year and, and over the next couple of years, do you have a couple uh, names yeah, that but, you could share with us? A couple? Ahead. Do you have a couple of stock, a couple of company names that you could share with us that's on your radar? Sure. Well, in uh, in the financials, uh, I do like uh, Wells Fargo and Citigroup. You know, those are both uh, very large uh, established banks that uh, that that should be doing uh, doing much better than they've done in the last couple of years. They've kind of lagged a little bit. Some of those some of those other banks. Uh, so I, li- I like those. Uh, in the energy space, I like um, Diamondback Energy. It's a ticker FANG, uh, and it's a, it's just kind of a, a mid-size uh, energy explorer, right? Uh, as well as uh, Chevron, which is ticker CDX. That's obviously the larger the larger explorer, oil explorer. There, uh, both very stable companies that uh, that are benefiting from that rise in, in energy prices. Fantastic. What about uh, healthcare? Any anyone we should look at? Sure. In healthcare, I, I do like the uh, so, for example, maybe Well Tower, which is ticker W E L L. It's a uh, healthcare REIT, actually, which is a company that owns real estate property. And uh, and part of the reason why I like I like that company is they've got a great strategy of uh, of using what's called triple net leases, right? So basically, they uh, they buy they buy the property from a hospital. Uh, so the hospital sells them the, their their property and then rents it back off of them. Uh, so that's a, you know the sell lease back strategy. So they've got a, an instant tenant for that for that property. Uh, but then they also set it up where the the tenant that hospital pays all the costs, pays the administration costs, pays the property costs, pays everything, and then just sends you know sends what's left over, sends a check for the rent to uh, to the company uh, afterwards. Uh, so so the company has really no property related costs. They just collect those checks every month from the uh, from those healthcare healthcare companies. Wow, interesting. So, what about for uh, the millennials or maybe someone that's got a, a greater appetite for risk? What what strategy do you recommend sure. that they go with? Well, you know, for somebody that's that's got that that time to uh, retirement, they can definitely go a little bit towards more of those growth names, right? And, and it's it's hard to recommend some of those uh, some of those those stocks right now because they are so expensive. But uh, but there are some stocks uh, in the 
Uh, so you've got the, uh, the the digitization space, so uh, you know blockchain and, and Bitcoin and, and all that. Uh, not necessarily Bitcoin itself, but the stocks related to to that to that theme. You've got uh, obviously electric vehicles, uh, the the five G and Internet of Things trends, uh, things like that. Uh, so so I'm I'm actually you know I'm 40, 44 years old, so so I don't have quite the the time to invest uh, as a lot of the millennials in that. But I'm still I'm invested in some of those as well. So we'll take uh, for example Salesforce, which is ticker CRM, uh, Salesforce.com, great company that's uh, that's in a lot of these growth names. Uh, the, a leader in really blockchain adoption for companies and the software application space. So I use that. Uh, Square, which is ticker SQ, is, is really a leader in that digital payment theme. Uh, you know, and, and these are just companies that, uh, while they're probably a little overpriced now or a little bit overvalued right now as we speak, uh, they're, they have that great growth, uh, growth trajectory, decades of growth ahead of them, and you know, even if you're investing now and the stock price comes down a little bit, then over the next 10 or 20 years, these are stocks that you're still going to do very well on. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, and and one, of the things I, one of the things I tell investors when they're worried about, you know, stock prices coming down because uh, they're, they're undeniably expensive right now, is if you use a strategy of, of investing every month, right? Use Think of your investments more of a savings account, right? Where you deposit money every month and just you know uh, use that to, to save your money and, and get a great return on it. Then what you're going to do is, sure, you might be buying some stocks that, that are kind of expensive right now, but you're going to get prices all up and down that that range, right? When stocks do co- start coming down, you're still going to be investing every month, and you're going to be getting those stocks, those same stocks, at those lower prices. Yeah, so it's just a great strategy to to really not have to worry about time in the market, not worry about how how expensive stocks are, because you're getting stock, you're getting the prices at at all those different ranges wherever they may go. Going to put you on the spot here, 2021. If there's a one stock that you look at that has potential to absolutely explode, and by explode, what, I don't know, 300 percent, 500 percent, a thousand percent. That that's near, neither here nor there. But if there's that one stock that explodes to multiples of where it is now, where would you go? Wow, and that's 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 tough because <laughs> so many of the, uh, the, the the stocks with so much growth potential have already have already exploded like that. I would say uh, one stock I really like Fastly, that's ticker FSLY. Uh, it is a uh, really a company enabling the the streaming services, enabling all that so that uh, internet bandwidth and that internet uh, connectivity that we've seen over this last year. Uh, the, it's it's. Uh, it's already come up something like two, three hundred percent over the last year, but uh, but it, it is definitely one with uh, that could could double uh, within so, the next few years. So you're saying uh, FS, saying it's, it's again. FSLY? It's FSLY. You said. Yep, FSLY. That's okay. fastly, okay. uh, and, and yeah, it's just in that space that is uh, that that is growing exponentially. That connectivity and, and uh, you know the streaming the streaming capabilities that it serves. Uh, it's got a lot of the uh, the, the streamer uh, the video streaming services as uh, as customers there, so they rely on it to be able to uh, to to deliver their streaming video content to uh, you know to to customers in a fast and effective manner. I'm in on uh, Aldera Therapeutics. I don't know if you're familiar. ALDX um, got in at 750, and uh, the stock within weeks has shot up to over 12 dollars. Um, 
there there you know, every time that's like there's a, a phase three when there's a bit good news on phase three that's really good time to get in on a stock correct sure sure well i, I mean the and the, the biotechs are very difficult to invest in um because and this really goes for a lot of different themes a lot of different uh ideas within investing uh, because you know you you need to know so much about that uh, you know the, the companies and the industry. You need you almost need to have a PhD in uh, in uh, medicine and pharmaceuticals and that kind of thing because you you really do need to know. Okay, how is the FDA process progressing on the drugs? What 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 potential do, does each of these drugs have and that kind of thing? Uh, so so it makes biotech uh, it makes a lot of these other industries very difficult. In fact, if you look at how uh, you know how Wall Street analysis is set up, how how uh, professional and analyst work on Wall Street. You very rarely find uh, somebody that uh, that analyzes stocks across different sectors, across different industries. Right? You'll you'll find that the typical uh, career path is someone from, you know, for example, for 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 a biotech analyst, you'll find somebody that's from that field. You know, a a uh, chemical engineer or somebody that's worked in uh, pharmaceuticals or, or biotech before will come and they'll only analyze biotech stocks, right? Mm. You don't get, you don't, you don't get a, uh, someone analyzing biotech stocks and consumer staples, right? Or food packagers. You get, uh, you get, you know, one analyst is focused on biotech. One is focused on, uh, maybe hardware technology. Maybe you've got another person that's focused on social media stocks. And the reason is you really do, if you're going to be picking individual stocks, then it's really helpful to uh, have a deep understanding, a deep experience within that industry to really know, you know, which companies have that competitive advantage and how that business model works. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's not something sense. that you can just go in and say, okay, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna analyze the whole five thousand stocks tradable on the U.S. markets. Uh, and and really know how to pick which ones are the best companies. Well, well said. Got a couple more for you, and then we'll finish up. Uh, what's your? I know that there's a bunch of different apps now. Robinhood being really all the craze these days, um, and has made it so easy for people to trade. And like you said, that have been sitting home doing nothing else besides putting their money into the market. So uh, I know that there's different apps for different types of folks. But if you had to just pick one. Whether it's Robinhood or E-Trade or something else, what what do you think is the most user-friendly, best overall app to use? Sure, sure, and that's that is a tough one because I actually I actually have accounts on seven different apps, okay. uh, and, and you know part of it's to get those bonus cash offers, which uh, which are always great. It's always free money. Uh, part is to get different features, you know. So for example, on Weeble, I, I do all my stock trading, that short-term uh, technical trading, uh, that kind of thing. On E-Trade, uh, which is the, the one I've had the longest, I've had an E-Trade account since it was Brown and Co. Uh, back in 1999. You know, I, I've had that, and that's where I use do most of my longer-term investing, right? So I've got my longer-term retirement accounts, things like that. Uh, so it's hard to pick just one because it, it really does depend on you know what kind of investing you're going to be doing. If mm-hmm. you're going to be trading, then uh, I think you know Weeble has a good platform. Thinkorswim has a really good uh, trading platform to where you know they help you with analyzing technical uh, events and and uh, technical strategies and short-term strategies like that. I will uh, tell you this. I will tell you this, Joseph. Longer-term. Uh, I, I will tell you this that uh, the Robinhood app, which is what I use, and it is extremely user-friendly, as you know. Um, what I don't like about it is they don't have any real live customer support. But to me, that's that's a troublesome thing. 
Sure, and there's there's really the, there's two reasons why I've, I've actually moved most of my money off of Robinhood. I had at one point I had a few thousand dollars on there uh, testing out the, the the platform, and and I do like how they they've made it easy for people. But one is there is absolutely no customer support, and mm-hmm. there's no excuse for that. You know, for a company that is uh, rumored to be going public. Uh, and, and you know, has I think has raised something like uh, you know, billions of dollars in uh, uh, private investor funding. There's no excuse not to have some kind of customer support. Basically, uh, their only their only support is an email, um, right? And, and that that takes them, you know, usually sometimes uh, up to a day or so to uh, to respond. Uh, so so that's one. The other thing is, is I think you know, in the lead up to that uh, potential IPO to issuing shares they're really cutting back on a lot of the services, trying to be, you know, basically trying to look more profitable to, uh, to investors. Uh-huh. Um, so they've cut back on a lot of the different investments that you can buy on the platform. You can't buy uh, MLPs, you can't buy, you know, some of the other uh, limited partnership uh, investments that you can get on other platforms. You can't get penny stocks or, or OTC stocks. So it's really, uh, it's really restricted as far as what you can get uh, lately on Robinhood. Yeah. And I think, you know, they realize that the most, the majority of the investors there are those, those, uh, those investors that are chasing those, you know, those really popular stocks like Tesla and Apple. And, and as long as they can buy those and they're happy. But, uh, but I, but I have since moved most of my money off of, off of the platform. So it sounds like Webull, uh, Webull is good for, uh, uh, you know, quick, quick day trading type stuff. And you like E-Trade for the long term. Yeah, yeah, I really do. I like uh, I like E-Trade, uh, especially uh, for the for the uh, analysis. Also, yeah, with yeah. with a free E-Trade account, you get a lot of different uh, analyst research reports that you can use to kind of look at that longer term. Uh, they're they're great for retirement accounts, uh, and you even have a, a good futures trading platform if, if that's something you want to do. So probably probably if I had to choose one, I, I would say E-Trade just because of that. That larger, uh, uh, broader uh, depth of uh, of features that people can use. Sure. Uh, but uh, but but some of those other some of the smaller platforms are definitely good uh, good ones for for trading as well. Last one for you, my friend. Thank you so much for today, and uh, sure. this has been very helpful. Last question for you, because I meant to ask you this earlier. I don't understand for the life of me with this call option stuff, buying calls. Can you explain that in layman's terms? What exactly that means? Sure. Well, you know, options trading is a great, uh, great little tool to have in your toolbox. And uh, what options are is just you're buying the right to uh, to buy or sell a stock in the future at a certain price, right? And so, specific there's there's things called call options, which are the right to buy a stock at a certain price anytime uh, within you know the next month, the next year, uh, however long that option uh, expiration has. And there's put options, which gives you the right to sell the stock for a certain price. And there's just a lot of different ways you can use that uh, within your investing strategy, right? So so for call options specifically, you can buy, uh, for example, I can buy uh, call options on Tesla, which is trading for right around $800 a, a share right now. I can buy the right to buy Tesla for you know $800 anytime from now into a year into the future. Okay. And, uh, you know, of course, to, to get that right from someone, then I have to pay a premium. I have to pay something now. So maybe I have to pay uh, $100 uh, now for that right, for that option. Uh, but that locks in that $800 share price over the next year. So basically, uh, you know, if you're just buying call options, then uh, then you're saying that, okay, you know, if I want to buy Tesla for $800, I'll, I'm willing to pay $100 for it now, uh, then that's $900 together, right? 
I'm betting that you know any time within now and to the next year, Tesla is going to be more than nine hundred dollars a share. Ah, gotcha. Right, so yeah. I can buy. So, yeah. so if I pay the hundred dollars, I lock in that eight hundred dollar share price. If Tesla goes to fifteen hundred dollars a share, then I still have that uh, that eight hundred dollars share price that I can buy it at. Uh-huh. Uh, which which obviously is a great way to kind of leverage your money. Uh, you can also use options for a lot of different ways. You know, if I was actually already owned shares of Tesla at eight hundred dollars. And I was worried that you know it's come up like fourfold over the last year. Uh, I'm worried that it's going to come down a little bit, and some of my money is just going to evaporate, right? I can actually sell those call options to another investor for that uh, that that hundred dollars, uh, and that, so that that other investor pays me a hundred dollars right now, and has that right to buy those shares for me for that price over the next year. Well, if Tesla shares fall do fall, say they fall to seven hundred dollars, you know, then uh, then. That that option buyer isn't gonna, you know, actually isn't gonna do anything in that case because they're not gonna buy the shares off of me for that eight hundred dollars when they could just go to the market and buy them for seven hundred dollars there. But I get to keep that hundred dollars that they paid me. So basically, that hundred dollars premium that I paid uh, for selling those call options that's covered my losses completely there in in shares of Tesla in that example. Got it. You know, so so there's just a lot of ways to use options uh, to not only uh, make more money, but to also protect your portfolio, to cash flow stocks. You know, Tesla Tesla doesn't pay a, a dividend, but if I can collect that $100 right now, that's kind of like a dividend, right? So I've cash flowed that holding, uh, that holding in my portfolio. Yeah. Uh, so just, you know, I, I actually did a, a full options video about two weeks ago, huge video uh, covering the five options strategies that I use, and, and it's a great video for that kind of basic options basic 101 and to get get to get started uh, on using those strategies. And you could use those strategies. You could use options trading through the apps as well. Oh, definitely, okay. definitely. Yeah. I, I know. Uh, I, I'm not sure Robinhood offers options trading, but I know um, a lot of the smaller apps uh, do. Definitely, E-Trade, uh, where where I use most of my options on uh, Ally Invest. Most of most of the options, most of the stock trading platforms offer options as well. This has been uh, really educational and informative. I really appreciate this. Uh, your YouTube channel, how do people find you online, social media, etc.? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see people come over and uh, be, a, uh, be a part of the community. Uh, that's uh, over on YouTube. That's Let's Talk Money. The channel is uh, Let's Talk Money with Joseph Hogue. I cover a lot of these, these same ideas, uh, investing, how to invest, and kind of that long-term strategy. Uh, visit me there. Uh, you can visit me on the blog mystockmarketbasics.com. Uh, great blog there for um, you know for for investing ideas as well. And we've also got a, a private Facebook group it's called Let's Talk Money Together. Uh, really, all three of them are great. Uh, a great little community where we can back and forth uh, different investing ideas and and really talk about making your money work for you. You guys check him out. He's got his uh, he's got an army of followers. He's calling what the Bowtie Group or something like that. Bowtie Nation, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Bowtie Nation, I like that. Uh, yeah, check him out, everyone. Joseph Hogue, uh, he's all over uh, online, social media. Like I said before, over 300,000 subscribers on YouTube, so he's obviously doing something right. And again, Joseph, thanks. We'll link a lot of this up in the show notes, and uh, look forward to staying in touch with you. Sure, 